Hi, and welcome to the February 10th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida, and my desire is to help you grow in your understanding and enjoyment of God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, uh, we're just going to be looking at an Old Testament passage in Leviticus chapters 8 through 10. Once again, that's Leviticus 8, 9, and 10. And if you've not already read that, go on and hit pause, go back, read those passages of Scripture, and then come back to, to the podcast. And I'd love to share with you a few things that I see out of this text. But, uh, but if you've read it, I hope you're ready. Let's get started. Okay, so as we look at Leviticus 8, we come to a chapter that details the ordination of Aaron and his sons as priests uh, that would serve the Lord, but also would serve the people. Uh, So the priests acted as liaison. They would be the go-between between God and the people. Um, We in the New Testament uh, see that uh, the, the Word of God makes it clear that Jesus is our high priest. He's the one that's the go-between, but he's made us priests unto our God, and so we can come boldly directly before the throne of grace. We don't need a priest anymore. Jesus serves as our high priest, but we don't need any mediator between us and God, between us and Jesus and the Father. So th- we're talking Old Testament. They had to have an, uh, a mediator since Jesus had not yet come, and that veil had not been ripped from the top to the bottom that would allow them to come into the Holy of Holies where God was. So we have the ordination. Now, if you've been to a deacon or a pastor ordination before, they typically last maybe an hour, something like that. It just all depends on uh, the extent of it. And the deacon's ordinations tend to go quicker or at least aren't as long as the, the pastor ordinations. Um, you know, it's just a service uh, with the pastors. They usually get asked questions in front of people, but still we're talking about something that could happen within maybe an hour. But in Leviticus 8, we see that the ordination for these priests took seven days. This, this was meticulous. So let's quickly go through the chapter. Uh, verses 1 through 5, we see that Aaron and his sons and the Israelites gathered at the tabernacle. So this was not going to be something that was done in secret. They were going to be ordained and set apart in front of the people that they were going to be serving uh, in the uh, near the tabernacle where there was the God that they were going to be serving. So they all gathered. In verses 6 through 9, Moses places the priest's garments on Aaron. And I... I it seems to me that this would have been done in a way that it was maybe suspenseful. You know, it would have created uh, a sense of importance. He's not just putting, you know, clothes on him. I think it's happening in such a way that Aaron is, as this is taking place, Aaron is much more seen as not just the man Aaron, but he is now the priest. And so there was this suspense that was building as as he was getting the uh, the robe and the turban and the breast piece and everything else. It was like he was being transformed into a, a from a mere mortal into someone who was fitting for the office. At least looked the part. 
In verses 10 through 13, uh, the anointing wall that we read about, you know, the mixture, the anointing wall was was uh, put on the tabernacle. It was also placed on Aaron to set him apart. And Moses then also in this in these verses placed the priest garments on Aaron's sons. And uh, we know that he at least had four sons, um, but uh, but he placed garments on his sons. In verses 14 through 29, we see that now that Aaron and his sons have the priestly garments on them, and they have been anointed with, at least Aaron has been anointed with the oil, now it's time for the sacrifice so that their sins could be atoned for because they were going to be interceding on behalf of other people, and so they needed to make sure that their sins were covered. And so there was an offering that was made, and this was a big to-do. It was not a it was not, let's get through this quickly. I think it was a big to-do. It was a big drama that played out to make this something special for the Israelites. Now, one of the things that uh, maybe you had a question about is in verses 23 and 24 when it says that Moses placed, uh, after he slaughtered the, uh, the second ram, he took some of its blood and put it on Aaron's right earlobe and on the right on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And so, you know, maybe you were looking at that thing, what in the world is that talking about? I'm telling you that when the word of God does not tell us what it means by what it says, then we're left to a little bit of speculation. And since it doesn't tell us this, I'm speculating that when the blood was there, the blood that would atone was placed on his right earlobe, the right side was seen to be the side of strength to the Hebrew, like Jesus. Jesus is at God's right hand. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean he's on the right side of God. It means that God's right hand is a demonstration of his power because the right side was always seen to be the position of power. And so Jesus is in the place of God's power. That's what that means. So each of these is put on the right side. I think it's the strength of who this was. So it's put on his earlobe. So what's that? I think it was, as a priest, you need to be so careful what you listen to. And so there are sins that you will be engaged in because you are listening to things that you shouldn't listen to. And so that needs to be atoned for. And then on the thumb of the right hand, well, I think the thumb maybe represented the whole of the hand, and the hand maybe was a picture of the activity, right? Because we use our hands to do things. And so his hand represented, you need to be careful of what you do, not just what you hear, what you listen to, but what you do. And so that needs atoning. And so there was blood that was put on his hand because he could sin in what he did. And so he needed forgiveness. And then the big toe of the right foot. Well, the feet take us places, right? It's where we go. And so there are places that we can go that we shouldn't be and would create any number of scenarios where sin could be a part of that. And so that needed to be atoned for. So I, I think it's just the blood on the, the earlobe and the right hand, the thumb on the right hand, the big toe of the right foot. It's just God's way of saying, friend, you're capable of sinning in any number of ways, and you need forgiveness. And so this blood was to atone for that. 
In verse 30, uh, Aaron and his sons are sprinkled with the anointing oil. Aaron had already been sprinkled with that oil in verses 10 through 13, but it happens again. Something about this just created the smell, the aroma of the place of worship because this anointing oil was put on the tabernacle. It was put on the altar. It was put on the laver. It was put on everything. It was put on the priests. And so there was something about this that created a consistency of an aroma as the Israelites showed up to this place to worship. In verse 31, uh, we're told that they were to eat a meal at the entrance to the tent of meeting, at the entrance to the tent of the the tabernacle, and they would remain there for seven days. And they were told that if they left, if they left, they could die. Uh, verse 35, you must remain at the entrance to the tent of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the Lord's charge so that you will not die. For this is what I was commanded. I mean, this is, this is the Old Testament. You mess up, you die. I mean, it's just, it's that, it's that simple. It's you mess up and you die. And, and it's, God hasn't changed, but he hasn't changed at all, but yet we don't have to worry about this sort of fear that they had because they were in a position where if they messed up, they would be killed. And we're about to learn that two of Aaron's sons are going to be killed in this next chapter. Um, but the thing is, and uh, the thing is, is as we look at the New Testament, Jesus is the one. Actually, it's chapter 10 where, where they die. But, uh, but we learn that it's Jesus that makes us right. So we don't have to be fearful in front of God. We don't have to walk uh, wondering, uh, you know, it, afraid of messing up, afraid of stumbling into sin accidentally um, for fear of what God would do. Because God loves us, and Jesus is the one who, if we are trusting in him, has atoned for our sins, and so we don't have the fear that they had in worship. Okay, so we come to Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus chapter 9, Aaron and his sons begin the practice of sac- begin sacrificing, and they begin this practice that would last for somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,200 years. Um, this, this, this sacrificing in the tabernacle, and then when David, King David, assembled all of the resources, and his son Solomon built the temple so that the sacrifice, so that the tabernacle, the tent, was no longer needed. Then that temple was a place where sacrifices that are that were started in Leviticus 9, they continued, except for the period of time that the Israelites were in uh, slavery, uh, taken off by Assyria and Babylon, and except for the three-year period, uh, I think it was 167 B.C., I don't have that in my notes, I think it was 167 B.C., when Antiochus Epiphanes offered a pig, sacrificed a pig on the temple altar, and so desecrated the temple with offering that pig that for three years the Jews did not sacrifice, did not worship in the temple because he had desecrated it. Except for those periods of time, what begins in Leviticus 9 continues for about 1,000 to 1,200 years. Um, and it's it's God's Old Testament way of 
showing the Israelites that you are sinners and he is a holy God and those sins have to be dealt with and all of those sins require a death. But yet God said you can have an animal die in your place to atone for that sin. And really we've talked about this. It didn't it didn't cover the sin, it just pushed it forward, right? Uh, an animal uh, did not, uh, animal sacrifice didn't forgive them of that sin. They still had that guilty conscience we read of in the New Testament. What it did is it pushed it forward until finally the ultimate Lamb of God, Jesus, would die on the cross, and then those sins were no longer pushed forward. They were gone. They were paid for. Um, but one of the things I like to do is whenever I read Whenever I read scripture, I like to read it with a question mark. I don't like to just read over uh, a passage of scripture. I like to to ask, is there anything in here that I am not currently believing that I should believe? Is there anything in here that I should do that I'm currently not doing or anything I should not do that I'm currently doing, right? And so I like to look at it with a question mark. But also... Also, it's not just that, but it's also the fact that I, um, I like to look at a passage sometimes from the vantage point of, of a lost friend. You know, I try to look at a passage of scripture and say, okay, how would, how would one of my lost friends look at this passage? What would they think about this? How would this affect them? Because friend, I'm telling you that there are things that we say, things that we talk about that we would be appalled at if, if we had not grown up hearing these stories. Elijah and the prophets of Baal. I mean, the Bible tells us about that story. It tells us of how Elijah, you know, um, had prayed and the fire of God came down and then he killed, he slaughtered 400, was it 400 or 450 prophets of Baal? I mean, we grew up hearing that story and so it's kind of normalized for us, but a lost person hears that and they think, really? You're celebrating somebody like that? And so I just want you to know that as a Christian, we, we hear these stories and because we grew up hearing them, we lose the, the, the abrasiveness of some of it. We, we lose the ugliness of some of it. For instance, in, Le- in Leviticus 9, as we read this, we're just reading through this, but friend, I, I wonder, did you notice how much talk was about blood? Did, did you hear, did you in your mind visualize how he was to take the blood and splatter it against the, the sides of the altar? Can you look in your mind's eye at that altar and see blood just dripping down that altar? This, this chapter's filled with death and blood. Now, I hope that you're thinking about that, and I hope that you have a little bit of pause in your spirit right now, thinking, you know what, you're right, that was, that was nasty. Well, I want you to know that it never was intended to be beautiful, the sacrificial system, never. We, we talk about it because I suppose probably most people listening have never killed an animal. I've, I've, you know, deer hunted, killed a couple of deer, done something like that, but I've never slaughtered an animal. I've certainly never sacrificed an animal. 
Um, in fact, it's, there's, it, there's laws against stuff like that because our society looks down on it. And I want you to realize that when we look back at this sacrificial system, it was never intended to be something beautiful, something lightly talked about. It was intended to be bloody. It was intended to be something that just was so nasty because God wanted us to constantly remember. In the Old Testament, he wanted them to constantly remember that you are sinners and for your sin to be appeased, this nasty practice of sacrifice has to keep happening over and over and over again. So friend, I want you, when you're reading through these Uh, chapters on sacrifices and blood and everything else, realize this is thoroughly biblical. This was God-ordained, but it was never intended to be beautiful. And friend, I want you to know also that as we look to the cross and as we see our Savior there on that cross, as he was giving his life for us, that was not intended to be beautiful. It was intended to be something that demonstrated that sin required a sacrifice. It was to demonstrate that that God's love for us, that he would allow his son to experience that. In fact, God would do that to his son, would place our sin, our guilt on his son. It was not a beautiful thing. It was never intended to be a beautiful thing, but yet it was necessary. And what's produced as a result of it is incredibly beautiful. The relationship that we get to have because Jesus died on that cross and rose from the dead and then gives us the ability to trust in him, all that happens as a result of that is incredibly beautiful. But the act itself was not. So when you're reading about these sacrifices, visualize what it looked like. Try to visualize what it smelt like and felt like as those animals were crying out as as their throats maybe were being cut or their you know the birds would it, it just the sacrifice that was going on and what it smelled like it says it was a pleasing aroma to god but if you've ever smelt burning uh, a burning flesh i mean i would imagine that stinks you know but yet god it was a pleasing smell to god why because God requires a death. Sin is so offensive to him that it requires a death. And I think that's why it was a pleasing smell to him. It's because in that, he was able, at least for a time, to push back the sin of the worshiper so that he could continue to enjoy a relationship with these guilty worshipers. So as you read the sacrifices, read about them, feel it, smell it, see it, um, use your imagination, and then thank the Lord that he sent his son as the final sacrifice. And this ugly practice never happens again. Okay, so we come to the final chapter that we're going to look at today, and it's Leviticus 10. And in verses 1 and 2, we come across this scenario. It says, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his own fire pan, put fire in it, placed incense on it, and presented unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. Then the fire came from the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. 
I mean, we're, we're reading about Aaron's two sons, and I, I, I don't care what culture you're in. I don't care, you know, what, what age of the earth you resided in. Generally speaking, dads and moms love their kids. They do. They love them maybe in different ways, but they love them. They're part of them. They are the ones who carry on their name. They're the ones who they can kind of, as the the parent is growing older and less able to do things, they celebrate the fact that their children and their grandchildren are coming behind them and can do those things. And so then they find joy not in what they can do personally, but what their kids and their grandkids. And so when Aaron's two sons, we're not told that he loved them, but I just assume, of course, he loved his sons. Whenever they offered strange fire, the Lord killed them. Now, what seems to have happened is they apparently were supposed to get this fire from the burnt offering. So that's the only place you can get the fire. Maybe they were taking it into the incense altar to burn incense. Uh, we're not exactly told. We're just told that they uh, put their own fire in it and they presented unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. Apparently they got fire somewhere else, somewhere else, not the 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 altar. So the Lord killed them. I'm telling you that as we read the Old Testament, there, there are some who say that the God of the Old Testament is, is angry and the God of old, the Old Testament is, is vindictive and the God of the Old Testament lacks patience and is quick to take someone out. And the God of the New Testament is kind and gracious and that's, where, that's not true. It's the same God. It's just in the New Testament, we have Jesus. <laughs> they, they didn't. Jesus was still active in the Old Testament, even if, if you've been following this journey since the beginning, even in Genesis. You heard me talking about things in Genesis, place, uh, uh, events in Genesis where Jesus actually showed up in bodily form. He showed up to Abram on the plains of Mamre. Uh, so many other places. He showed up to Hagar. I mean, so many places Jesus showed up. But he was not he he was not showing up redemptively in the Old Testament. And so the God of the Old Testament is holy and just and cannot tolerate sin. The God of the New Testament is the same God, and he's holy and he's just, and he cannot tolerate sin. But in the New Testament, we have Jesus as our advocate. We have Jesus as our high priest who intercedes for us with the Father. Um, and so it, it appears that God the Father is different, but he's not. But when you look at this, you realize, oh my goodness, he just, he just took them out. You know, they had fire. They, they didn't get it from the bronze altar, from the, the, uh, the, the altar where they sacrificed the animals there at the tabernacle, and God killed them. Well, there, there seems to be something else going on. If you look over in verse 8, um, after the Lord, through Moses, is talking to Aaron, then the Lord gives instruction to Aaron, verse 9, You and your sons are not to drink wine or beer when you enter the tent of meeting, or else you will die. This is a permanent statute throughout your generations. That, that's the law that they got. Don't you be drunk when you come in here. And so I wonder if not only were they offering strange fire, but they were capable of not doing exactly what God had told them to do because they were drunk. I just wonder if that was the case. 
But regardless, Aaron now has two dead sons. As they were serving the Lord, they just didn't do it the right way. And so in verses 3 through 7, Moses tells Aaron that he is forbidden to mourn for his sons. His job and his priestly sons' jobs, his sons that are still alive, their job of acting as priests, the mediator between God and, and his people, the Israelites, that job is so much more important than them mourning for um, Nadab and Abihu. And so they are told that the Israelites can mourn, but they cannot. Aaron and his sons cannot. They have, they'd better be getting back to their business of sacrificing. Um, and so then they're given the command, no alcohol while performing priestly duties. And then in verses 12 through 15, they start sacrificing again. And I can only imagine the heavy heart that Aaron had, but also not just the heavy heart, but him and everyone else, they realized that God is serious and that if you don't do things exactly the way he tells you to do it, he reserves the right to kill you, to take you out. Once again, we may be tempted to say that the God in the Old Testament is different than the God in the New, but that is not true. It's just that in the New Testament, in the New Testament, we have Jesus. And Jesus is the one who has not only forgiven us, but Jesus is the one who credits us with his righteousness. And so even when we sin, when we sin, that sin has already legally been nailed to the cross. It's already legally been forgiven. When we ask for forgiveness, we're just asking to have that uh, the offense wiped away so that we can enjoy God again. But we don't worry about it being legally forgiven because it was already nailed to the cross when we placed our faith in Jesus. And uh, so we realize that God is holy and God is just and he will punish sin, but we also realize that uh, we're our identity is tied up in Jesus. Friend, I want you to realize that the Old Testament um, as we read this, this should cause us to love Jesus more who he is, and what he is doing for us. Uh, Verses 16 through 18, uh, Aaron's two other sons messed up, and Moses, uh, they failed to eat a designated portion of the sacrifice, and Moses gets upset because Israel's guilt has still remained because they did not eat of the sacrifice that they were supposed to. Once again, we realize that uh, Aaron is realizing, oh my goodness, I'm about to lose two more sons, you know, because there was a, a mess up. And so what we read in the last two verses is that Aaron said, Moses, calm down, stop getting so angry. He said, what happened was, is that sacrifice, that goat sacrifice, you know, I was concerned that, and this is, I'm, I'm adding to it, but I believe this is what's going on. Aaron was saying, I was so concerned that my sons who acted disobedient, and, and, and tainted. I'm a, I was afraid they tainted that sacrifice. And so I let it go on and just burn up all the way. There was nothing left for my other two sons to eat um, to atone for the sins of the people of Israel. And so Moses was satisfied with Aaron's explanation. And Aaron's two sons breathed a sigh of relief because they were not going to, to lose their life. 
and they get back to worshiping. But I'm telling you that as this is playing out, everybody's getting serious because everybody realized God's not messing around. You don't mess up. You don't mess up. And friend, I'm telling you, apart from Jesus, that's the way we would live. We would constantly be worried about, have I messed up? Am I doing enough? It is, it, apart from Jesus, we would be works-oriented. And if we were genuinely, humbly, honestly aware with the condition of our heart, we would constantly be afraid that we were not measuring up because we were messing up in God's eyes. Friend, I'm telling you, apart from Jesus, we would live in fear. Um, but because of Jesus, there's no reason for fear. Jesus is the one who paid our sin debt. He has satisfied God's holiness. He satisfied God's wrath. He's declared us righteous. That righteous life that Jesus lived while he was here, he's credited to that, that to your and my account if you're saved. We don't have to live in fear like they did. We don't have to worry about messing up. When we mess up, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, I'm telling you, Jesus is incredible. I hope that you are continuing to enjoy him and grow in your relationship with him and delight in obeying and submitting to him. Just think of all that he has done and is doing for you and let that motivate you to, to love him more and serve him more. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and you are so good. You are so good to us. But Lord, so much of the time we get so preoccupied with this life and all of the busyness and the, the stresses and the, the bills and the jobs and the, the family and, and, and before we realize that you, you've taken a sideline, not because you desire to be there, but because we have put you there. Lord, help us to recognize all of the good, wonderful, beautiful things that you have done and are doing for us. And Lord, help us, whatever it is that needs to be adjusted so that we can make you first place in our life. You are first, but help us to make you first place in our life because you're worthy of it. Lord, help us also to realize that as we make you first place, everything else generally tends to fit in. Everything else tends to work a lot better with you in first place. Thank you for what you're doing for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed our time together as we've spent some time looking at three chapters in the book of Leviticus. Um, I just want to encourage you, just hang in there. Keep hanging in there. Let's get through this. I'm your coach on the sidelines saying you can do this. Let's get through the Bible in a year. Maybe you've never done this before. Let me motivate you to keep you going. Uh, and, and also, if there are times that you just think, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm one, two, three, four, ten episodes behind, don't let that stress you out. Just read God's Word. Maybe click the uh, my podcast on just long enough to get the reading. 
and then read your Bible and then skip over episodes. You don't have to, don't feel obligated to listen to every single one of them. Um, just, I just want to be here as a resource just in case you're able to do this. And once again, if you're enjoying this, feel free to share it on social media, share it by word of mouth. Uh, let's continue to see if we can grow this family of people that are growing in our understanding and enjoyment of God's word so that we can apply it in the power of God's Holy Spirit. I'm looking forward to spe uh, spending time with y'all tomorrow. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.